With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. <clears throat> Log Talk Radio. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and children of all ages. Happy Sunday, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you guys are enjoying your weekend, and I hope you guys are enjoying your summer for those people who get to have a summer. For those working types, I think you'll find that (laughs) summer, winter doesn't really have too much meaning considering uh, most people who are in the workforce or doing random things after the school days are you know, you know, finding out that there's no such thing as a whole two months off from school. So I hope you guys are enjoying it and making it as epic as possible. Today on the show, we have a very special guest coming on, and this is going to be actually unprecedented. Other than my wife and my kids, um, he's going to be the first relative that's going to be joining me on the air today. And he's actually a very talented young man, I have to say. Um, and, you know, it's nice to, you know, have someone in the family who is also into the theatrics and the performances and so forth. Very talented young man, very bright young man as well. Um, Shaheem Blue, um, he's my cousin, as advertised. He's, technically, he's the, cousin, he's the son of my cousin, um, who is the um, daughter of my Uncle George, who I spoke very highly of on the show. Um, I think I told told stories about how he was probably one of the best dog trainers you'll ever meet, and also the person who introduced me to comic books and uh, whatnot. So, Shaheem's going to be joining me shortly. Uh, waiting on him to call in, and we're going to have him. He's, he's not. This is his first podcast, but he's a pro and he's not concerned at all. So, you know, I think it's going to go very smoothly. I don't think anybody has a problem coming on this show. Usually, um, you know, we have had many guests that this is their first. And I think the feedback we've gotten is very welcoming and it's kind of a good place to springboard off of, right? <laughs> so uh, very exciting. Um, so we're just waiting on him to come in. Um, and he's going to come on for about an hour or so. He's a very busy young man, as I mentioned. So, you know, after we have him come on, I'll chat with you guys, maybe do some film reviews and talk some more stuff. Now, what's also exciting is this is yet another one of our uh, stars we have on our wrestling show that um, you know a lot of people may not have heard of until before the wrestling show, um, and he just came back to become the champion, and um, he's on our Monday night roster, and it's, of course, something extra, and he's one of the very few relatives outside my wife and my kids that are actually on the roster as well, so it'll be interesting to have him on. 
to hear what it's like to see himself in a wrestling form. Um, his grandfather, George, and I used to watch wrestling all the time. Of course, his grandfather's favorite wrestler was the Macho Man, Randy Savage, of course, um, <laughs> and whatnot. So just waiting on him. Uh, he'll be here shortly. I did tell him I you know, did a couple minutes so I can welcome you guys, let you know he's coming on, and he's a pro, as, as I mentioned. So it probably won't be too long now. Um, this is going to take notice for people. And remember, folks, if you need, to, if you want to get into the filmmaking or theatrics, music making, whatever it's going to be, the first step you got to do is one, want it, and two, figure out a way to get into it. There are many avenues you can get into. There are many things you can start off at. It's not about going in right away to get the Academy Award. It's about bringing your teeth. Uh, we've all had to do it and, you know, whatnot. So, you know, this is going to be another one of those life lessons. So there's that. That's, that's kind of how that works. Yes. So, anywho, while we're waiting on the very talented Shaheen Blue, um, hope you guys again are having a great weekend. Um, <laughs> yes, yes, for those people who follow my social media, this week has been a very turbulent week for me. Um, you know, I had some, the usual, I had to deal with the haters as always. Not the haters, I got to, that's a very harsh word. I had to deal with some people who um, may or may not have been the most uh, respectful people this week. And I want to say thank you to those who, one, have always shown me the respect and, all, two, have always appreciated what I've done. I appreciate you guys, and I want to let you guys know that, you know, I do these things because I want to see you guys succeed. I share my experiences, so if that can help you uh, further your careers and hopefully get you guys where you need to be and get you guys some, um, you know, leverage or whatever. That's why I do this podcast. That's why I do the shout-outs. Um, because you guys, you know, the dream, the real-life dream masters of the world, these are the people who are going to carry the torch when us pe- when the people who are in the now are long gone. So it's important. Oh, speaking of which, hello. Hello. Hello, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Oh, my goodness. Three for three. This is like the third time that we haven't had any technical difficulties connecting. That's exciting. <laughs> How are you, my friend? How are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing well. I was just telling people that, you know, you were going to be coming on. So, um, you know, I was telling them a little bit about uh, the various things that you've been involved with. But rather than hear it coming from me, um, how about you uh, introduce yourself to the rest of the world? <laughs> Hello, I'm Shaheen Blue. Um, I'm Sean's cousin, um, also from Massachusetts. Um, I thought I'd just come on and say hi and have a nice conversation. Awesome. Well, it's always good to have you. It's always good to... You know, outside of my wife and my kids, you're the very first uh, family member I've had on this podcast. Isn't that interesting? No, I thought I, I didn't know I was going to be the first. That's cool. Yeah, outside of my wife and my kids, you're the very first uh, family blood that has actually been on this podcast. So, welcome officially to the F4L headquarters. <laughs> um, 
So, uh, yeah. So first and, first and foremost, how's everything been? Um, pretty well. Um, I've just been, I just got a new job at McDonald's. Awesome. Um, Sweet. excited because I'm going on a trip soon. So that's good. Now, is that trip for McDonald's or is, or is that for something else? Oh, it's for something else. Um, so I, it's just, it's for acting. So I'm going oh, to well, LA. Yeah. Awesome. What are you going to be doing out there in LA? Okay, so I've been taking this class, and I'm going to – I'm just going there um, filming a scene for the class. They're putting it on my demo reel, and then I'm getting new headshots. Awesome. Awesome. Now, you've been doing this thing for a little while, right, the acting thing and the the modeling thing, right? And the um, – For, you guys, you did late for a while, but – where are you saying? Oh, I was going to say, you also do, like, live performance too, right, like stage? Play type things? Oh, I haven't done plays in years, but I oh, also okay. haven't done acting for a while. Um, I stopped for like years. Like high school, yeah. I didn't do any acting. And then I restarted like, I restarted like sophomore year. Like I got back mm-hmm. into when I, I decided to pursue professionally. And yeah. then this is where I am from now. Yeah. Awesome. Now, what have you done so far that people might have, may or may not have seen or whatever so far? Um, I haven't done much. I just done like maybe like, like a short film, um, just like acting classes. Um, I've done background work, and then I'm currently studying theater at college. But I'm taking a semester off. Um, hey, it happens to focus like Where are you on studying? acting like professionally. You mess awesome. Amherst. Where are you studying? What is it? You um, you Amherst? Yeah. Oh, that's a good school. That's a really good yeah. school. How do you like your professors and stuff? Um, professors are very nice. I like the I like the school a lot because it is secluded, but it's it's mm-hmm. like a town within itself. So I kind of yeah. like that. I always wanted to like be in that kind of environment because I remember when I visited Harvard one time. First of all, I thought mm-hmm. Harvard looked ugly. Like it's, it's an <laughs> ugly looking school. Yeah, it's um, but too. it also just like. They have tourists all the time, and Harvard yeah. is entangled in Boston. So it's like, yep. for me, if it's I went wild. there, I feel like there'd be no like school and there would be no like community environment. Like I don't want to go to school yeah. and like have tourists come twenty four seven. I kind of feel like that's like somebody walking into my home all the time. Yeah, yeah, I can you understand know. that. I mean, I for someone who grew up in the um, you know grew up in the areas, same as you. Um, I, when I younger days, I would go into Harvard square, um, on like a Friday night, just because of things you just described. It's very, um, I, I guess you'd say it's very scenic, I guess at night and whatnot on weekends. See, I, I'm not one to really like, I'm not really into the whole partying scene. So my friends and I used to go over to Harvard square and go to like the coffee shops over there. And way back in the day, like they had um, HMV Records, which is like, they also sold movies there. They had several bookstores and things. And you know, we're so lame that we would, we would go on a Friday night. We'd have off from work. My friends and I would meet at a coffee shop, and then we'd head into Boston via the train, which is handy. And we go to Harvard Square. But you know what? You're right. It does get really crowded during certain times of the year, and it does get really overwhelming for people. 
I personally also yeah. wouldn't go to school there for the same reasons you just mentioned. It's not very appealing. I also feel it's a little bit more overrated. It's all about the hype. Because if you have a college degree, you have a college degree, and it has the same relevance no matter where you get that college degree from. Um, yeah. I think people put too much stock into Harvard University as it is, and it's a university. It's not like a college college anyway. Um, yeah, there's been a few people from there, but there's been really successful people all over the place. So, mm-hmm. you know, good luck. So now this um, – this uh, thing you're doing in L.A., now you going there alone, or who's going with you? Um, I'm going with my mom. Awesome. Awesome. Safe travels, yeah. you guys, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. Now, your birthday's coming up next month, right? Yeah, it is. See? I don't remember these things. Well, happy birthday early, <laughs> by the way, just in case. Thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. Um, so, now, this trip, now, how long are you going to be going to L.A. for? How long is the, uh, whatever you're doing out there? Just less than, it's like less than a week. Yeah. And I'm think, I think I'm staying for, like, five days. Five days. But I'm excited. It's my first time, like, it's my first time, like, um, outside of the East Coast. Like, I've never been, like, outside this time zone. I think the furthest west I've ever been was Michigan, and the furthest south I've been was Florida. Yeah, I hear that. <laughs> um, when I was younger, I used to do a lot of, like, uh, martial art tournaments and stuff, but I was all up and down the East Coast. And yeah. I used to spend a lot of time in, like, the New England area. <clears throat> excuse me. The New England area I'm very familiar with. But um, I think the furthest I've driven on my own is, as of right now is New Jersey. <laughs> but um, I've really? been here and there. Yeah, that's the furthest I've driven oh, okay. myself. I've been other places. Oh, okay, that, make, that makes wrong. sense. I mean, That's I've been other cool. places. I mean, yeah. I mean, we only went to Michigan because me and um, Meme, um, we went to Michigan on a road trip last summer to visit um, Uncle Jay and his kids. Awesome. You know, those are important too. I, I often, I actually, if I have the opportunity to drive, I'd much rather drive than anything else if it's in driving condition, driving range because honestly driving to me is very relaxing and it's it also a good way to get you ready for whatever it is, wherever you're going and also the the scenery um that you go to see on the way there plus you know you get the music going and if you have you know have some really cool people to travel with it's even that much better um you know when i was starting out in pro wrestling it was very customary that a lot of us would kind of share share the same car because i mean not all of us drove when I was wrestling and what we would do is we'd kind of do with the, the carpool thing, right? Everyone would meet and then someone would pick up and give everyone gas money. And then you guys would, tour, you know, ride the roads together. But um, mm-hmm. I've been to California one time and you know what? It's funny because I've been there one time and I was like six and that was actually my favorite trip. <clears throat> and I remember it all, <clears throat> but <clears throat> excuse me, I got my water here. Yeah, I'm telling you. Yeah, the first, this is the first time I've used my voice all day, too. Outside of writing, mm-hmm. I haven't really talked to anybody, so this is exciting. All right, so, um, yeah. But, yeah, I was out there once with, when I was six. Um, my my grandmother, George's mother, Helen, actually took me out there to visit Aunt Dolores um, a long, long – I was six. And Aunt Peggy had to go, too, because I guess they were concerned that Grandma couldn't handle the trip on her own. 
from what I remember. And I, I didn't see her having any issues when she would. But I do remember, it's funny how when you take these trips, there's certain things you remember. I've been kind of blessed to have a really good memory in general. But um, one of the things I remember is my um, grandma had this giant bag of candy, like loose candy, like, um, you know, like various types of hard candies and stuff like that. I remember her carrying that on the plane and, you know, everyone wanted a piece of candy on the plane when she got there. Uh, That was fun. And I also remember coming (laughs) home from California. I was six again. And it was the only time I've been to California, sadly. And um, I remember that we went to Disneyland, I think that's what they have out there. And they had like the Davy Crockett exhibit, which is like the frontier kind of a thing. And I got this pirate gun. It was completely fake. I got it from Disneyland. And it came, it was like, you know, like one of those, you know, pirate guns. This is before I, you know, grew grew to hate guns. Because um, later in life, I would absolutely despise any sort of guns. But back when I was a kid, it was, you know, it was a, this cool little pilot. It was like Davy Crockett's gun or like a pirate type of gun you'd see in like Captain Hook or whatever. This goes to show you the time, too, because this is the 80s. So when we were coming back, you know, they do the bag checks and they saw the, they saw the little pirate gun in the bag. <laughs> and uh, one of the things about grandma was that if she got angry enough, no one wanted to argue with her. And she didn't really, I guess that's where probably my mother gets it from too, in a way. But, you know, if she saw someone was wrong, she had no problem telling them so and then telling them how to, where to go if they, she didn't like what they said. So the security was uh, trying to give us a hard time about boarding the plane because of the fake pirate gun that was in our bag. But they realized it was a toy, and they saw that it was, you know, from Disney World, whatever, so they let us go. That's, that's, that's something I remember. Today, that wouldn't fly. That would, like, people would have all kinds of, all kinds of nightmares over that. You know what I mean? <laughs> I don't know if you've yeah. traveled by plane a lot, but that was what, something I remember. <laughs> Oh no! I like I love loose. I love flying a lot. I haven't flew in like three years though, but there's something about flying that I think is so cool and so fun. Like for me, for me, like the moment that I enter the airport is just that's when the vacation starts for me. Like I get just that. It's like right right when I see like the airport signs, you're driving into the airport. You know you're gonna fly. Like I do not mind waiting in the airport. I just love flying. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I think, like I said, traveling and getting to your destination is part of the fun. And I think it's important mm-hmm. to really when people are going on trips and stuff to remember these things, because it doesn't have to be stressful. It doesn't have to be, you know, whatever. As long as you leave when you know you need to leave and get there when you need to get there, you take oh, things one step at a time. You know what I mean? Hello? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm sorry. Can you hear me? <laughs> yeah, I can hear you now. All right, cool. But as long as those things are there and those things are in place, you usually don't have any problems with those things. You know what I mean? As far as, um, you know, enjoying. That's because you're right. That is part of the enjoyment. That's part of the vacation is the traveling to get there. That's part of it. Yeah. I think the last time I flew, and I do think it is actually, was I flew in – October was that? Yeah, October of 2001 was the last time I flew. 
Um, it was a month after 9-11. That's how I remember it. And um, I had to go for a for, – I was working for a day program for adults with mental illness at the time because that's part of mm-hmm. the services stuff that I was doing, which I really enjoy. I really like helping people and doing that stuff. So um, I was a volunteer, and what I, would do, what I was doing at the time was I was helping them set up their, like, social activities and stuff. And they yeah. wanted me to go down to represent the clubhouse at the International Clubhouse Conference, which basically what that was is all of the – excuse me, clubhouses within this, you know, company's umbrella, which are all over the world. They had people from Australia, from, you know, all over Europe, Russia, Canada, you know, Mexico, pretty much anywhere where these programs are. They all came together at this, um, in, at this convention. It was in um, Chattanooga, Tennessee is where it was, which prior to that, I never had been to Chattanooga either. Nor have I been to Tennessee. <laughs> and... I remember that they asked us in, in like, um, August of 2001, and originally there were several people who were supposed to go on the trip. And then, of course, 9-11 happened, so then they came back and asked everybody, do you guys still want to go? Um, because, I mean, I'm, I'm sure, I don't know if you're old enough to remember what happened. Or you were around for that, right? 9-11, no, but I know what happened. Oh, yeah, of course, everyone does. Now it's part of history probably in school. Uh, yeah. But that happened, and um, you know they gave, they came to us and they had the, they gave us the choice. You guys can go and you know hopefully you can go and represent the clubhouse if you want. But if you don't, we understand. Um, and I said, well, people, other people all over the world are coming to this thing. And I said, if someone's going to represent this clubhouse, I'm not going to let anyone stop me from you know putting the best foot forward to make a difference. So I boarded the plane and I came. I went to Chattanooga. Um, because it would be a cold day that I wouldn't let I would let someone keep me from doing what was right. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I boarded the plane a month after 9-11 flew. Of course, you know, my mother, who was around at the time, she was panicked, and I had to call her when I landed, called her when I got to the hotel, because that's how, how other people saw it. I just saw it as, you know, you can't live in fear to, you know, kind of, Put it, you have to keep going forward because if you live in constant fear, you can't get further in life. You can't really uh, exceed anything if you're constant fear. Everyone's afraid of something. But if I had not gone to that trip, I would have missed out on meeting some of the most amazing people ever. And that's also where, mm-hmm. I, you know, you if you remember, I used to write a lot. I still write, actually. But I, uh, I, I, was, I just got done writing a song, like the lyrics for a song called The Good Old Boy. And I actually debuted it at the uh, convention down there. Well, it was a conference, really. It wasn't a convention. The good old boy. Isn't that the name of the um, independent film you did? You, you, yeah, exactly. That is the independent film yeah. that I did. And that's actually that's actually what led to that movie being written, because um, the movie is actually based on the song that I wrote. Uh, that's where the movie yeah. came from. That's how I can't, that's what, where the concept came from. That's why it was written. That's also why it was included in the film originally. Um, that's why, like, a lot of the things are based off that song. Um, that's mm-hmm. where it came from. And because when I was in film school, after I got injured in wrestling, and, you know, they said, you know, everyone can put in for a film grant. When I submitted the uh, script for The Good Old Boy and His Big Brother, was called, 
then that's when, um, you know, I, I won the scholarship after getting graduation. Okay. Oh, <laughs> and, cool. and I don't know how much of that stuff you remember, but I'm glad you remember that. That's cool. <laughs> um, yeah, I just have a really that, good memory, so. That's a good thing, man. That's, that's really good. It's good to remember all these things. These are what I call the, the resume, the other things that make up your resume. Every experience you have, that goes on your resume. Not necessarily something yeah. you always want to write down, all of it, but at least you can keep it as, you know, experience factor. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, that's, that's back then. I think you were doing a lot of acting back then, right? Or you were starting to back then? I think. Because I know you were going to work on then. the film with That us, was right? 2014, so I was 12. Um, I was, I had, I had done like plays and stuff, so yeah. I'd done a little bit of it, but I like, I yeah. was try at that point, like I was trying to do it like professionally, but I was like also 12 and I didn't know anything about the industry. So I was yeah, just I like, you. la-di-da, radio, radio says Disney Channel will give you, make you on Disney Channel. So I was like, okay, let's call the number. And then it ends up being a scam. Like that's kind of like where I was at that point. Yeah, I gotcha. I got you. No worries. I, I mean, I get that. That a lot of people do that, and unfortunately, you know, that's kind of one of the things that people learn when they want to get into the thing. How much work it is to get it, and also, in a way, it can also be both a blessing and a curse to get in. Um, I had a mm-hmm. guest on the show who actually auditioned for that film, and actually, he was supposed to be in the film, um, but because. <laughs> The person I brought in to help out with the movie, who we all know how that ended up. Uh, oh, can I say his name? Yeah, yeah, go ahead and say his name. Cause okay, so I you were saying was... Daniel. Okay, so Daniel Groom um, didn't believe in him, but you did, and his name was um, Finn Wolfhard from Stranger Things. Well, Finn Wolfhard was one. Uh, he came and auditioned. And we were with him. There's another one. Christian Goodwin was the other one. Uh, because at that time, Finn Wolfhard didn't, was still a local person. And Christian Goodwin lived like maybe a town away from where we were going to be in production. And because mm-hmm. Dan wanted to get experience in film, because before I met him, before, he, <laughs> before any of that, he was a student training to be a wrestler. Um, and he found out he didn't like that too much because I joined a, progr- I joined a company called uh, Bay State Championship Wrestling, and I was helping them do some training and stuff. That's where the Jazz Fitness character came from. Oh, and cool. Dan, That's your wrestling character. That was my wrestling character. That was the bad guy character. I have two wrestling characters. My good guy and the one that I started out as was Jazz Vengeance, the six foot, 245-pound man, myth and legend, Jazz Vengeance. Don't be afraid. Be terrified. But um, in 2003, when I was really doing well in wrestling, I got injured. And because I was injured, I couldn't go to the gym anymore, and I couldn't really train like I was. And I was going to college. That was how I got my two degrees. And after I got my two degrees and I got the green light from my doctor, I went back to wrestling, and that's when I became Jazz Fitness. And I joined this company. It was not too far away from you guys, actually. It was in Holbrook at the time. And... Um, I met Dan. Dan was one of the students. And if your parents signed off on it, you could train to be a wrestler. And he started out doing that. Then he found out he'd rather hold the camera or take the photos for the people. And at that point, I was just um, getting ready for the grant. I was going to film my movie and he wanted some experience. When I originally met Dan, he was going to, he was in high school and he was going to Blue Hills Regional, I believe it was called. 
It was like a trade school, and it was he was going for culinary, which is cooking, as you probably knew. <laughs> mm-hmm. I had, before I brought him on the set, he didn't have any interest in filmmaking, <laughs> or nor did he think about it. But when he, you know, this thing didn't work out, and then he wanted to take pictures. And he's actually the one who also they had filmed a lot of the jazz fitness promos, which is the things you saw on YouTube, whoever else that used to be up there. Oh yeah, I remember but, uh, that. Yeah, yeah, that was the, it was the YouTube sensation, Jazz Fitness. But they had him put those up there, and then, you know, I had I brought him on set to give him some experience. He asked me to write him a letter for film school, which he got in, of course. And that's how he got involved with the good old boy, which you, which you obviously remember. <laughs> and, then, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I remember, you know, after, you know, we went into production, you know, we had to start and stop for a second because first we, you know, tried using people he knew and we knew and that didn't work out. So what we decided to do is actually just, you know, use some, I used some um, resources and I went to Boston Casting and we put out an ad on there to get people who actually wanted to be in film. And that's when we put out the casting calls and did all that stuff. Now, upon that casting call is where, like, the Christian Goodwins and the Finn Wolfhards came in. And even though I wrote everything and I, you know, pretty much had every, I had all of the permits necessary and I had all of the, you know, legit things that you need to make a film and the experience and the script and everything else, you know, Dan was going to come on, at least hold the camera and do the technical work since he was good at that kind of stuff. Um so I let him do that and he was on set. Now I allowed him to be part of the, you know, the auditions, but the difference, you know, you can always see the writing on the wall. And this is a lesson for, you know, you or anybody else to whenever you have a red, whenever you see something and if you're involved in a project and you see something that doesn't feel right, my best suggestion is to trust your inner instincts and don't try to, don't ignore the inner voice in the back of your mind. You know what I mean by that? Mm-hmm. because there were red flags all over this whole thing. And I ignored them because I wanted to get this thing made. And I, it was important. All these people, you know, took time to come and be part of this project. You know, I, I want, I felt I owed it to them as well to continue this and make it done. I reached out to all the comic cons and the anti-bullying programs. Cause it was anti-bullying film, which I'm still very passionate about. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. So we did all that, and it was going to be, you know, I, we struck up the deal. It was going to be fil- shown in film school, uh, shown in schools, 
you know, and kind of like the trouble, troubled areas where bullying is kind of a prominent thing. That was something that I had set up. And I also set up, we were supposed to do like New York Comic Con, Boston Comic Con, like do a panel thing to show the film, you know, to everybody when it was done, like a red carpet event type thing. But um, that was around the time that my wife and I decided it was time for us to, you know, finally get married after a little while of off and on dating and stuff, two kids later, you know. So when we were planning on doing that, I had to leave to take care of those things. And not leave, but I didn't leave, actually. What I did was I told I had to take a break from social media because I was so busy trying to plan that wedding and to try to get everything else done that was going on that I had to take a break and I left social media altogether. And I told when I remember this well, because I went to Dan and told him, listen, I'm going to be coming off Facebook for a little while because I got to focus on the wedding. I got to focus on all these other things. I'm still going to work on the film and we're going to get this done. We don't, and at that point we only had like three or four scenes left to film ever. Like then the, the thing was done. And then because we were on a time crunch, we were supposed to get that done and it was almost done. And we were supposed to have it shown at New York Comic Con that fall at that October. And it was all set to go. But um, that's when he told me on the front porch of his house, when I told him I was taking a break from social media, he had taken a job in L.A. working for a Mexican, Mexican television station, is what he told me, because he just finished film school at this point. So he was going to take a job in L.A., California, and he didn't know when that was going to start, but he couldn't work on the project anymore, and he couldn't do the, be the photographer for my wedding anymore either, because he was supposed to do that too. Uh, I said, well, we better let people know that you can't do it. He said, no, I'll take care of it. Don't worry about it. I said, all right, and I trusted him, which, again, uh, so, you know, that happened. Then maybe about a week or two later, a couple weeks later, I would hear from people that said they saw him filming at a wrestling company locally, like seeing him physically at a, at a program in, like, Rhode Island and then various parts of Massachusetts, which, you know, you don't have to be smart to figure out. If you have, mm-hmm. let me ask you this: If you had a good j- paying job in you know, you know at a television station in California and L.A. specifically, would you fly back to you know Rhode Island to make fifty dollars to record a wrestling show? No, out of curiosity. Okay, I'm glad. I'm glad I'm not the only one that already saw flaws in the the story that he had. So. That happened, and then I decided it was time to come back to social media because at that point the wedding was, you know, getting finalized. I had some time, and I didn't know that Dan Groom continued working on the film and then also removed me from everything part of the movie. <laughs> and not only that, that's he that's broke that's the snake shit. Yeah, not only that, he broke the film into like three or four short films and then put them on Amazon Prime. <laughs> now, <laughs> I know, right? Now, if most people, and the other part was, if anybody asked me the question, like, what happened to the movie? Why isn't? Why aren't you there? I, I told them what happened. I said, well, Dan told me he was going to California and all that. And at first, to be honest with you, at first, I was even willing to find out what happened. I'm saying, no, maybe... Maybe, you know, he had the job lined up and maybe it backed out at the last minute or whatever. 
or maybe there was something that came up. So I reached out to him originally to find out what happened. Legit, like thinking there was something else. And he blocked me from Facebook, so I couldn't contact him. And that was strange. Like, why, would, why wouldn't you want to talk to me? <laughs> and mm-hmm. then other people would ask him, hey, what happened to, uh, what happened to Sean's movie? What, what, what happened here? Didn't Sean write that or whatever? Oh, oh, what yeah, happened I to the said, guy? I said that. I contacted him. I was wondering what happened to you. And then he was like, I don't know. His wife can't even find him either. <laughs> Something about that. So I'm like, maybe he's dead. Maybe he's missing. I don't know. Right. Yeah. See, you know that that's another. That's kind of the mystery I never heard. Because, I mean, on my end, I know what he told me. But you know, I was someone who was on set for every single scene. I hired everyone. Mm-hmm. I did all the casting for everyone. So I. I don't know what he told them, like the rest of the cast that he had to continue with, or I was. Like, at least he answered you. Other people who held him to ask, he blocked them if they, if they brought it up. <laughs> oh, yeah, like, he still followed you... me, and then I just unfo- – I, I, I followed him myself, like, years ago. Yeah. Yeah, that, that happened there, and then he continued making movies that I <laughs> – Based on the scripts that I wrote, that one script I wrote, he, he broke it into several little short films, and um, they, he put them on Amazon Prime. And after I figured out that, no, this is not the work of someone who, you know, at, you know something happened in the accidental. This is someone who purposely went ahead and stole, tried to steal what I did. Do you know what I mean? And, and in film, that's, that's kind of a, as you know, as you said, it's a shady thing to do. Unfortunately, because he decided it wasn't a good idea to reach out and to work with me, and because, I mean, I, I, I even had to go as far as go to his IMDb that I had to laugh at. Because I'm like, wait a minute, he's on IMDb and all this stuff is all lies because he didn't write this, he didn't write any of this other stuff. So... Um, that at that point, you know, everyone else, a lot of my a lot of filmmakers and stuff like mine said, you know, you got to hold this guy to task. My wife also said, you know, this guy can't get away with this. So I tried one more time to reach out to him. He had no reply. He had nothing to say. So, you know, I had to go to a lawyer, uh, copyright lawyers, because apparently, you know, when you go to film school, which are you in, you said you're in film school now, right? Or are you just going for acting? Just for acting, but, you know, I'm going to take a semester off. Yeah, I get to. Well, in film school, would you want to, you know, get a degree in film? Product? Like, acting might be different than filmmaking. But when, because I'm talking about, like, you know, writing and the production value versus, you know, being in front of the camera. For, to oh, get a film degree, you actually have to learn about copyright laws and things like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's a yeah. big deal in film, because that means you got to... You know, make sure you have – that's why I'm very careful now what, what I post, what kind of works I put out there because I don't want someone to do what Dan Groom did already or try to do it because when the lawyer and I saw – you know, had to – first we had to go and see, you know, these similarities. And, of course, it didn't take rocket science to figure this out. It was clearly my work that he just kind of took over and just cropped, crossed my name out <laughs> – and the only uh-huh. thing that would have saved him is if he at least did, uh, at the end of the credits, if he at least did a, 
you know, original, a story originally written by, or if he did like some type of credit towards me, special thanks to, you know, Sean, you know, whatever. But because he didn't even do that, he kind of took it for himself. Um, we had to hit him with that and reported him. <laughs> and of course, I'm apparently on, he used, what's up? I'm on his IMDB right now. And yeah. he, I don't know why he did this. This is so dumb. He put a grown-up to football player, clear history, um, TV movie, concert, attendees. Both of them are not credit because both of them are background work. Why would you put background work on your MTV? That's like acting in a one of you don't do. <laughs> that's because that's the only thing he did credible at that point. You see, technically, the things he has on his IMDb, he's supposed to remove the things that aren't his. And because, you know, if he doesn't, he well, here's the thing. He lost the rights to put anything else on on Amazon ever again mm-hmm. or anything else. He's banned from film uh, festivals. He's not allowed to do film festivals. He's not allowed to really make films around the area. He's not New England, New England. Um, what did I just say? Um, I just said at the beginning too. The people who we got all of our actors from, um, New England casting, sorry, Boston casting. They, he's not allowed to work with them or contact them anymore. Um, and he's also because he used part of what I, part of our my movie for his film school, for his college course, which is the dumbest thing you could do. <laughs> yeah, he used part of my film for a film for his homework, to for school for his final thesis. So because of that, he got his degree revoked, <laughs> like overturned. He lost mm-hmm. his college diploma. He lost his college diploma. Because he, can that's, he, can that's, he film like in Massachusetts now? Because like I'm on his Facebook and he filmed something for Lizzie Borden, Board like YouTube documentary something, um, forever, and then he just finished filming something like a horror thing in Norwood, Massachusetts. <laughs> I mean, he shouldn't be making films at all because unless he's doing it with his friends. Uh, he's not supposed yeah. to be making any films. That was part of the uh, the punishment was down. Otherwise, he yeah. breaches that and he gets in even more trouble because <laughs> he's lost his credibility and credits. So, yeah, yeah, you know that movie. That's why if you go on on Prime, you can't buy those movies anymore because they're not his. <laughs> he can't get the royalties. Yeah. And the only reason I haven't had those pulled from Prime, and I'm going to be honest with you, the only reason I haven't pulled those movies from, from Prime, because I could have, is because of all the people who weren't involved in what he did. Because I remember all the people who took the time out of their schedule to come make on my, to work on my film. I remember all of the talented yeah. people that came together to help put that together. And I remember all of the people who used our film as a springboard. And I remember all of the people who would go on after working with us to do bigger things. So the only reason I haven't had those pulled from Prime, which I could have, is because it wouldn't be right to the people who weren't involved in whatever he did. You know, it wouldn't be right for them to lose that credibility because they did great work. It wasn't their fault that he was a scumbag. You know what I mean? Mm hmm. That's why I let those movies continue to stay on Prime, but he doesn't get any kind of revenue from that. He can't get any credit for that. 
And that's why, you know, you might see some of them on like free sites because you can't be paid, you can't pay for them anymore because he lost that. I think it's on, I think one of his films he blatantly stole from me, which is part of what we did. In fact, we filmed it at my brother's house. That's how lame it was. But which, by the way, my brother got a credit. He got a special thank you, which makes no sense. And so did my cousin. <laughs> my cousins who were uh, other cousins. Um, which ones? My brother? My brother got a, got a special thank you for Scott White because we filmed, a part, we filmed uh, one of the scenes in his, in his basement um, with uh, the good old boy. So we filmed at, his, at, his, at, his, um, at my brother Scott's house at the time. It was in Weymouth. Uh, landing, which was, by the way, a very weird filming day in general, but that's beside the point. That was before Dan Green was a lunatic. <laughs> that was before he was a scumbag. But it was a strange filming day, which we both agreed on that. But he, my brother got a special thank you for letting him use the house. Oh, Lindy's, which I set that whole thing up because, you know, you have to have locations and extras and stuff. Oh, Lindy's has been really helpful with that. And Oh, Lindy's even asked him, hey, what happened here? And he, uh, I don't know what he, he gave them a special thank you anyway. Um, um, at the time, Chris, uh, which was uh, Paul and Lisa's son, he, mm-hmm. he was in the film for a short, for like a quick scene because he was in the area. Uh, he was part of the Olympia scene, actually, because we needed extras. And I don't know, well, I can't remember if that was before or after you found out that I was making a film. Do you remember? Because I don't know why I wouldn't have asked you. Because if you were doing extra work or background work, you would have been able to be there. It was just bowling. In fact, you would probably would have been one of the people I wouldn't have to show how to bowl. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> oh, you, you, let me tell you, filmmaking is awesome. Let me tell you, the stories I could tell. Um, and mm-hmm. that's also how I found out that, you know, just because I've known something all of my life or whatever, or something's normal for us, doesn't mean the rest of the world is, I guess. Like, I obviously knew in New England, like, candlepin bowling is, you know, it's a New England thing. But to have to show someone what bowling is in general just blew my mind. Like, how do you live in the United States? How do you not know what bowling is at all? So I had to show them how to bowl real quick before we could even film that day. So it was a lot of work there. Yeah. But uh, those are the fun parts of making film. That's the magic of making you know, something of that nature. But, yeah, Olindy's got the shout-out. My brother Scott got a shout-out. Um, I am nowhere to be found anywhere, and that's why he got in trouble. <laughs> Nothing on me at all, even though none of it would have even happened. <laughs> but, you know what, small potatoes, because next year, I don't know if you heard the news, but, you know, next year I have got, been green, I, I've got the green light, and next year I'm going into production for the Stephen King anthologies. That comes out next year. Oh, so cool. He can, he can have whatever he wants, but I, here's what I know. I know what I'm going to be doing next year. He can't make any films anymore, but I can. <laughs> and I got, it was even better than that is I got the green light from Stephen King, and he's endorsing it and funding it. So I think, oh, cool. I think in the end I win. <laughs> and if you're looking for acting work, if you're looking for work this year, let me know. And because it's an anthology, I'm going to need help there. So. You know, I'm going to be looking yeah. for people I actually know and people I can rely on, which, you know, is kind of the blessing of, so, which is kind of what I use social media for now. Um, it's more of a networking thing, more so than a social thing, if that makes any sense. 
I am much mm-hmm. more, I prefer the old, you know, how someone calling me and saying, hey, how are you? You know, how's everything going? But because I have a lack of numbers and a lack of people I want to talk to or people who want to talk to me for that matter. So because of that, I, um, you know, have social media for that. I'm not on Facebook still. Um, I use Messenger uh, because I have more contacts on Facebook than everywhere else, but I don't go on Facebook itself. Uh, my wife will usually post something for me uh, because I don't have time for Facebook. Instagram I'm on, as you know, and things like that. And, of course, YouTube and things of that nature. Yeah, so. And I know that you are uh, you're pressed for the time. I don't want to uh, take away from your day or whatever. I did want to ask you um, on another topic um, because, you know, happy for you and stuff. But I wanted to ask you. Because I asked people, I told people at the beginning of the show that you're one of the people, and a lot of our people, a lot of our fans worldwide are fans of our YouTube wrestling show. First, uh, what was it like when you heard, when I asked you if you wanted to be a wrestler on the YouTube show, what was your first initial response or reaction? Um, my first response was I thought, I was like, oh, okay, that's cool. I didn't really think, I didn't really think much of it. I was just like, okay. I was like, okay. I was just kind of like nonchalant about it. That's a, and that's a cool thing, you know. It's a, it's a thing. Now, did you happen to see the YouTube video where I read the emails from fans? Did you see that one? Oh um, no, I, I haven't seen. I haven't. A while back. I haven't even been on YouTube for like a while. Like, I think the only thing like, no, actually no, I'm mostly on TikTok. But yeah, <laughs> I haven't like. I like even like my favorite YouTubers. I haven't even like watched their videos until like today. I like I just started watching Sean. like your favorite YouTuber. Yeah, like, your yeah, like you too. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> gotcha. No worries, man. Well, when you get a chance, go back and watch and catch up. But um, uh, a little while ago, when we were studying the new uh, season, because I got the new software, which is so much better than the last one. Uh, no more crashes. Mm-hmm. I can do the live shows or whatever. I actually almost reached out to you yeah. if you wanted to be a commentator with me on some of the shows, but um, I couldn't get a – I know you were busy or whatever. But oh, yeah. in general, what happened – when you go on there, now you're like one of the uh, people people cheer for on Monday nights. Um, and I know you don't like spoilers, but, uh, you know, you're kind of a dominant champion, even though, like, you came back and won the title the first night back in. I guess that is a spoiler, but there you go. But – uh-huh. I guess, you know, you have a cult following, I guess I could say. Uh, so what's it oh, like cool. to know that you have a cult following of people who are cheering for the A-list Shaheen Blue? <laughs> oh, I think it's cool. I didn't know I was famous. Yes, that's, that's fine. Well, that's kind of, well you are that's now. Cool. Well, you're only known <laughs> worldwide. No big deal. You only have fans in, you know, Canada and Russia and um, Ireland. I think that my, my my friend over in Australia is really, fa- you know, he thinks you're really awesome too. Yeah, so you got a little bit of a fan base that are, are not just on the state side <laughs> who like to see what Shaheen Blue is going to do next because for some reason, uh, you every time you do something, every time you win, there's always something else you do, which I don't even know because all I do is I build you and I don't do anything else. I don't play the game. It's on demo, so whatever the system does, it does. I just call the actions. So that's all your yeah. your your character. But uh, for whatever reason, you have a you have a kind of a reputation for winning in various different ways. Like I think the ongoing joke I usually say is, well, 
you know, he's got to keep the opponents guessing. He's got so much talent, this kid, that, you know, he has to show off one new move. And, you know, who can stop <laughs> this kid when he doesn't even know what else he's going to do in his tool shed? So stuff like that. It's pretty, pretty cool stuff because I've never seen you win the same way twice. And you've been on the roster since, I don't know, I've lost track. Since the, really starting the new initiative, really. And mm-hmm. uh, you're one of the top people on Monday nights. And that's the rock. That's all. That's the rocking, uh, rocking Monday. That's where all like the music and the kind of the movie and the more people like that are on. In fact, you beat <laughs> you beat Dane Cook to win the title. An actual Dan MMA who? fighter. What's that? Oh, oh, cool. Yep, you beat Dane Cook to win the title first, and then. You know, all the other things. You won, you won the title, you know, you won the, your, another one of your favorite matches to win is the Melees, which is the multiple person with the top battle royal things. You're really good in those. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you're doing big things. And uh, on the show, you have a very big cult following. So I was wondering if you, apparently you didn't even know that you were had a cult following, huh? No. Well, now you know. <laughs> Knowing's half the battle. <laughs> Anyway, um, so I know you're pressed for time. Like I said, is there anything else you wanted to, you know, share or let people know? What, like, what else? What's uh, what's the plan of attack here? What are you going to be doing? So, what am I going to do with what? Like, I was asking. Like, so what? So, what is the, What's the? What do we want? What are you going to be doing in the future? What is? Where do you see yourself doing? What's the? What's the goal per se? Probably um, working at McDonald's, um, acting stuff, and that's about it. Hanging out with my cat. <laughs> that's awesome. Cats are cool. Do you have a pretty good, strong fa- friend base or, or foundation or whatever? Or are you more of like a loner kind of a person or family first and friends after? How does that work um, for you? Your social mixture. Like I have, I have friends. I have like a few friends that I hang out with, but um, I don't know. Like I have, I have a... I have a lot of people who like, cause I'm I'm a really much of a people people people, you know, so like I attract a lot of people. But I would say like I'm a, I have a like a few friends who I like bother to like catch up with, or bother to like, you know, maintain a relationship with. Um, sure. I get that. But I'm also just like I'm very like I'm very family oriented as well, and like I also am like kind of not like a loner, but like. My friends know that, like, sometimes I need time to myself. So, I get that. I'm, like, very, was I'm independent, too? too. Like, I have friends, but I don't need friends, you know. I get you. I get you. You know, and that's okay to do, too. You know, it took, you know, a lot of us who are older, we it takes us a little while to figure out kind of who real friends are and who is really important in life in general. Um, I think one time we had a discussion about family in general, and the sad part is sometimes – you know, even people you you're related to aren't the most positive people in the world. You, oh, yeah. You're lucky. Your your mother's awesome, and you know all you guys are awesome. But like, we have relatives that aren't the greatest people, <laughs> as I'm sure you've probably yeah. learned with time. But um, yeah, that's that's on them. That's not on us. <laughs> but um, you know, I'm hoping that eventually, you know, your your you know your mom, you and your family can. You know, our families can kind of more get together more because it's not like you're very far away. It just seems like we have all different schedules. Uh, both of my kids are working yeah. now. 
um, in, you know, of course, my wife's working, I'm working, but, you know, we got to, you know, set some time aside so we can, you know, get together as a family and stuff. I think that's important um, because I don't, to be honest with you, I don't deal with a lot of the other family because, unfortunately, I found out, and it took me a long time to find out that you don't necessarily need all of them, <laughs> uh, just the ones who yeah. are positive, you know, and whatnot, so... Um, you know, I've always had a soft sport for your grandfather and stuff, and I've always liked your family. So that's why I, you know, I connect with you guys. Um, you know, admittedly, we all get busy and stuff like that. And for that, I apologize. But just know that, you know, I really do genuinely want to, you know, include you guys more, you know, and become more of a family because not just for you guys, but my, you know, my kids in our family, you know, no one really has... <laughs> You know, you, you guys are the only ones that really include my wife or my kids in anything, really. And, you know, and that's that means more to me because they are my life. You know what I mean? Just like you guys mm -hmm. are my family. They are, too. And I think it's important to get everyone on the same page, so to speak. The ones who are positive, anyway. <laughs> um, you know, so that's stuff. And I'm proud of you. You're doing good things. And, you know, McDonald's is a great restaurant. And, you know, and it's not going anywhere anytime soon. So anyone who, you know, wants to say something about working at a McDonald's, just know that McDonald's has been around the block a long time. It's one of the very few places you can actually say is going to be a secure job in the economy and everything yeah. else. You never have to worry about a McDonald's closing down where there's these uh -huh. other megalos just going anywhere. You know what I mean? So all yeah. honesty, I, I, I always say, you know, it doesn't matter what your job is. If you like it, you know, put all your, you know, put everything you have into it. Um, my daughter works at, you know, two coffee houses, but she's going to leave one to, be, to work at the other one. And then my son works in the movie theater. Um, I don't know if he really loves it as much as I did when I worked in the movie theater, but he's doing it and whatever. So I'm proud of them and I'm proud of you for, Continue to work on whatever it is you're doing. You have a good head in your shoulders. I always said that about you. And I always said oh, that, you, you know, you, you get it done, you know, and you know what you want and you're very, you know, you can, you actually have really good communication skills and that's important. You also have an open mind, which is also important. So um, don't undersell yourself. You know, I know you can do a lot in life and I know you will. So keep mm -hmm. that up. Oh, thank um, you. You know, and just remember, the one person you absolutely have to, you know, have the back of, the one person you absolutely have to believe in is the person you see when you look in the mirror. Remember that at the end of the day, too, um, because that's something that um, a lot of us have a hard time doing. It can make people uncomfortable to look at the person in the mirror, but um, yeah. just know that the person you see in the mirror is the one person that's going to carry you to whatever it is you're going to do in life. Um, I grew up where a lot of people told me I couldn't do this and I couldn't do that. They undersold me and they would, you know, constantly tell me what I was capable of and what I'm not capable of. And I use that as fuel to prove them all wrong because I believed in me. And by hook or by crook, you know, I wanted to be a pro wrestler. I became a pro wrestler when I got injured you know, I, be, I got into filmmaking and helping other people. So it doesn't matter what everyone else tells you. Just believe in yourself 100%. Put all your, you know, tools in one shed and you're going to go far. 
So they, there's yeah. some bits of advice from someone who's been around the block a few times. And I don't drink or smoke or any other things. So it's a completely sober bit of advice <laughs> uh, because I'm not in, the, I don't do any of the other things because I'm lame. Apparently <laughs> I do drink coffee though, <laughs> for the record that, that I'm guilty yeah. of, <laughs> but outside of the coffee and just wanting to see people succeed, I don't really have many other vices. I guess I'm lame because I, I would much rather, you know, I can, as I usually tell people, I can make a fool of myself completely sober. I don't need anything else to help me with that. <laughs> I like to have fun <laughs> and I like to be silly when I, when it comes forward. Uh, and I, you know, once in a while I like to sing and whatever else, and that doesn't, you know, whatever. My favorite thing is walking down the street and I have like this horror hoodie. It has all like the horror villains on it which, as you know, I, I seen, met a lot of these people. But I'll walk down the street with this horror hoodie, which completely covered all these horror villains, and I'll sing, like, Disney songs. You should see the looks on people's faces. <laughs> and I had one person tell me that I can't sing Disney songs and wear that sweatshirt at the same time. <laughs> to which I just uh, put the headphone back in and sang zippity doo and then uh, I said, what else did I sing? And then I sang A Whole New World, which is our family favorite. Um, so in other words, I didn't let them stop me from singing because I'm wearing a horror sweatshirt, which I've never heard of something so ridiculous in my life. But always be you, brother. You're doing good things, and I'm proud of you. Um, I know you're, like I said, uh, safe travels. And when you get back, let me know. Uh, when you, How long are you going for again? Just like five days. Five days. Have you ever been to a convention out of curiosity, like a pop culture convention? No. Or are you not into those things? Never been. Probably not into it too much. Um, like I don't go like to like Comic Con or anything because like I don't know. I don't. I mean, I I like I would I would want to go to like a K-pop convention center because they like have performances. I can listen to the music. Anything mm-hmm. that involves like celebrity meet and greets or anything, I'm not really that interested in because I don't really care about like. Celebrities. Celebrities. Like there you go. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. I get you. Two each their own. I, um, yeah. yeah, I always, I enjoy those things just because I like to, you know, give thanks to the people who kind of inspired me to do what I do. <laughs> but I get it, you know. Yeah. It's not for everybody, and that's important to know. It's important to know that, you yeah. know, you're not into those things, and you know, that's fine. But um, I'm actually pretty excited. I actually got a job not job, but it is job, but I'm working for my friend's convention now out of New Jersey. And I'm actually heading down there in August, September, and November this year, because now I'm part of his staff and whatnot. Because, again, I'm paying it forward. He's always helped me out in the past, and now I'm helping him out. So it's pretty cool. But, uh, you know, proud of you. So safe travels. So you're going to go on for a little bit. When you get back, let me know, and uh, we'll try to plan a family day, I guess. Um. One of the things I haven't done oh. yet is going to the beach yet. Have you guys gone to the beach yet? No, but we're probably not going to go to the beach together, to be honest. Not not you, but, like, I'll, I'll text you, like, some stuff later. But, yeah, there's, like, there's like a lot going on right now. I gotcha. Well, when you get yeah. back from your trip, let me know. We'll have to make plans, and at some point our families can get together. We can, you know, have dinner or something. I'm sure we can find something to do So yeah. um, and whatnot. I know next year... Um, I got Jazz and Friends Expo that's going to be kicking off, too, and I'm probably going to be looking for you for that, too, because I know that you have a lot of talent that you could probably add to that, too. 
Um, I'll talk mm-hmm. to more about that later too. <laughs> and of course, the films start production next year too. So you know how to get a hold of you. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you know how to get a hold of me. And I'm only a phone call away. I think you have my number. So you ever need it, call me. Yeah. Um, okay. You know. So don't be afraid to call and ask. I know. Um, you know. I'm always around. I'm only a phone call away, you know, and it's always good to have someone to bounce things off of. Even if we have, even if we have a pretty good understanding of things, it's always good to have an objective and an, and a kind of unbiased ear, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. that's something that I've always had a gift for. So if you ever need anything, just give me, just give me a shout. You know where I am. <laughs> All right. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, Shy. It was great having you on. Before you go, do you, is there anything else you want to say to anyone or anything else you want to plug or anything else you want to say and, before you head out? No, thank you. No, just thank you for having me. Uh, it was very nice. Um, I had a good time. Always a pleasure. It's always good talking to you. And again, I'm proud of you. You've really, you know, you've grown up to be a really great young man. And um, your mother did a great job and your family did a great job raising you guys. So, you know, I'm proud of you guys. Keep it up and um, safe travels, brother. Thank you. You're welcome. Have a great night, okay? You too, bye. All right, safe travels, bye. Isn't he a fantastic young man? That's my family for you. And uh, he is a great young man. He is. He's going to go places. He's a very smart kid. Uh, smart young man. Um, you know, had a really good head on his shoulders. And what, you know, he kind of undersold himself a little bit because uh, he does have, he mentions he has TikTok. What he didn't say is how he really, really likes to use a lot of inspirational quotes. He has a lot of insight. I think people can learn from people like him. He likes to, you know, add his voice. And doesn't matter how old you are, if you can grasp something that someone else can say and use it to help you, then it doesn't matter how old the person is saying it because inspiration can come from anywhere. Next year, I got things coming up. And I'm going to be looking for people like my cousin and other people who I know I can rely on. As you heard in this show, as Shaheem himself <laughs> has even described what happened in the results of uh, Dan Groom and all that. Um, at least now has been said out there. Um, and all of that is true. And everything here, and you just heard from my cousin directly. Um you know, I, I don't know what was said to the rest of the cast, and that is something that I'm curious about myself. So if anyone who's worked on my film, anyone who I casted or anybody's listening who has worked on that film, if you have any insight to what was what his explanation of where I was, I would love to hear that. So reach out to me at my social media platforms on Instagram at f 4 l Sean, S-E-A-N, S, I'm sorry, one second. You know, every time I do this, you would think I would know my own social platforms by now, huh? Well, I don't. There you go. All right. You can reach me on my Instagram at F4LICON, I-C-O-N, S-E-A-N, because that's my name, Sean. And by the way, in case you're probably wondering, that is how I spell my name. Separate from my son. My son spells his name the other way. One of the other ways, I should say. Anyway, my Instagram is F4L Icon, I-C-O-N-E, 
S-E-A-N-J-A-Z-Z-S-T-E-V-E-N-S-1. That is me. I do have a backup, which is F4L Icon, S-E-A-N-J-A-Z-Z-S-T-E-V-E-N-S, which is my other backup account. But all honesty, I started that account because I was having problems with my with the, um, the other account. The other account is probably the best one to reach me on because um, has more of my stuff on there, and I go on to it a lot more. I don't really have – I don't have a Facebook. I'm sorry I don't have time for that. I contemplated it because, you know, when I took a break from social media, uh, a couple of weeks ago I took a time off from even Instagram because I was getting burnt out, and I was questioning, am, am I helping anyone by – you know, spreading the word on these amazing people? Am I, you know, are they getting something? Are they getting any type of lessons from me? And, you know, people who are constantly, or people who are insulting me and poking fun at me and whatever, I I didn't understand where that animosity was coming from. And when I have to start questioning someone's sincerity, when I'm blunt and I'm honest, I tell you how it is. If I like you, I like you. If I don't, I'm probably just going to see you later. I've done it. And I have no problem. You know, that's how I am. And I'm sorry about that. That no, I'm, I run on two things, trust and respect. And if I don't have those things, there's no relationship there. There's no, any kind of personal vendetta. And I wish you the best, but if I don't trust you or if I don't, and then there's no respect in the mutual thing back and forth, then there's just no point. I'm very happy that I have the people who have reached out and said, no, Jazz, you are helpful. We appreciate it. And trust me, there I know the people who are helpful, and I know the people who respect me, and I respect them too, and that's why I continue to shout them out. Particularly this week, Jaden Brooks um, took time – <clears throat> out of his schedule to make sure I know that, you know, he appreciates what I do. Uh, the men and boys, Henry and Jairo Menya, they appreciated me. Jojo, the bodybuilder, Jojo Sebastian. Um, you know, these are people who have, you know, personally reached out and just said, you know, and Walker Campbell, these are the people who have reached out and said, no, Jazz, you know, you're a good guy and we appreciate it. Don't let these people get a hold of you. And then other people too. It's not just them. It, uh, people who, all walks of life have, you know, appreciated what I've done and said thank you and whatever. It's just why I'm still on and I didn't take another break. Because why am I going to punish the ones who are doing the good things, who are learning and helping and getting the help? It wouldn't be right for me to disappear and not offer my support to them, the ones who are good and who are responsible. Even a per, there's a person recently who who is recently has been – Trying to, I don't know. My my daughter called it getting. She she said it looked like he was trying to goat me into, you know, making fun of me or goat me into some type of argument or whatever, and having a field day at my expense. But, and I have to say this. And at first, I was insulted, and I I'm still a little hurt because I did a lot to, um, you know, shout the person out, and then they told me not to shout them out, and I didn't. I removed them off the YouTube show, so that way there was no 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 confusion. Um, you know, just the last couple conversations I had with them has really, at first, really bothered me. But then I wondered, is this person having a hard time? 
And if that's the case, then I need to ask him that first before I jump to conclusions. He's just disrespectful. Because up to now, I've never had a problem with anyone. And here's the thing about when you struggle with very, like different things like depression or anxiety, um, a change in someone's mood or a change in someone's life, fear, separation, things happen. I get it. Uh, mental health is very important. And I'm one who is very much for um, being anti, being someone who is very much for, you know, you know, stomping out stigma. There's nothing wrong with not being okay. There's nothing wrong with telling someone I don't feel good. There's nothing wrong with telling and looking for help when you can. Because, in fact, it takes a real strong person to ask for help, more so than it does to just, you know, talk crap and, you know, make them annoyed. So... The last kind of conversation I had with a person who was, I don't know what that was. And my, again, my daughter told me that he was goading me into, you know, something and probably having a field day. My son told me to just get rid of him all because he's not going to change. But I wonder if he's having a hard time, if he's going through something and, um, <laughs> despite how annoyed I was and how disrespected I felt, this is the kind of person I am. And this is honestly what gets me into problems because even though I was annoyed and I'm hurt and I felt disrespected and, and whatever, if I know that he's having a hard time and if I know that he's going through something, but if I don't take the time to ask him, Hey, are you okay? I think that I'm trying to patronize him or he might think that something else, but in gen I'm being genuine when I ask because maybe there is something seriously going on. I know that there's been at least one change that's happened since, you know, whatever. And I don't know what's going on because I haven't really, and that's on me. I've been so busy doing other things and dealing with other people that I neglected to reach out to him on a regular basis. Maybe he feels left in the dark. Maybe he feels goaded by it. Um, so again, the person knows who they are, but they, they apparently don't listen to this podcast, but in hindsight, in general, this is a kind of a lesson for everybody, really, even though my pride hurts and my ego hurts and I'm feel insulted and disrespected. If I know someone's in pain or someone's having a hard time, I actually can understand or I can excuse someone for kind of acting out differently than they normally would. Sometimes people have a hard time for asking for help. And sometimes people do things to try to get help in the wrong ways that happens. But it's important to realize that like I had to do, I had to stop for a second as annoyed as I was. And I'll tell you the night before I was, I was so annoyed that it was, it was, I couldn't even bear to even look at anything anymore. But I continued in the support I got from everybody. And then he messaged me again yesterday. And it just seems to me that the person is, is having something going on because this is where my training from being human services is also where my, just my gut instincts tells me and also my fatherhood being a parent tells me sometimes people have a hard time expressing themselves the correct way. And sometimes we act out differently. 
uh, fear, anxiety, depression, sadness, loneliness. Um, these are all things that people do. Kind of think back to when you were in elementary school for those people. Who, if you ever had a crush on somebody, <clears throat> and if <clears throat> I know for myself, if I got called out for liking someone, I got really, really shy and really withdrawn. Like, like when you're in school and so and someone was to say to you, hey, you like so-and-so, and they would give you a hard time at school, and you're like, no, I don't. I don't like so-and-so, even though you really do. That's kind of in a similar, kind of a scenario like this, but not really. <clears throat> Sometimes people have a hard time expressing how they really feel or express or asking for help or they want to ask for help but they're afraid to just come out and do that so the only way to do that is to um, take shots at them uh, or to you know show off so to speak right to be funny um, you know when I was in elementary school and I was known as a school clown because I wanted to see people happy and I felt like a somebody in school because at home, I didn't feel like an anybody. I was just me, and I was tormented by everyone at home. But in school, I was a somebody. But I know how important it is, and I know how hard it is. As a, as a male, I know how hard it is because, you know, as a guy, we're told, you know, to bury our feelings and not show emotion. I'm going to tell you, I, I think it takes a real strong person to show emotion. It takes an even stronger person to ask for help when they need it. I think it's a smart person who can realize that they need help and ask for it. Um, so as angry as I was yesterday, I asked the person flat out after, <clears throat> after I had you know, originally told them, listen, I don't know how to respond to you right now because, you know, this is going on. This is how I feel. It doesn't feel like you're taking any of this seriously. And the only reason I think you're messaging me now is because other people, you can see other people who can see that this doesn't make any sense to them. But the response I got was, you know, what do you mean, even though it's very clear? And then they sent me a picture of an animal, which I, I'm an animal guy, which doesn't really have anything to do with anything we were just talking about. What that does say is my my professional opinion is that's a cry for help. That's someone who has something going on for whatever reason, and that's their way to get interaction. And I'm just saying, even when I realized it, I stopped for a second, I looked at it, and I thought about it. I asked him flat out after that. I said, because I originally had told him, listen, after you've given some time to think, about what you did, um, you know, come back in a little bit, take a couple of weeks to think about it, and then come back and tell me why I should, you know, give you another chance and how we can be sure you won't, you know, go through that again. And then he, that's when these, this what do you mean thing came up, and then a picture of a cat came up, no response. This kid's a very smart kid, folks, and oh, this person's very smart, and I know he's intelligent, and I know he gets it. He's actually probably one of the smarter people I, I know about, so I don't believe for one second he doesn't understand what he did, and I don't believe for one second that he's not aware. 
I do think, however, he has some, he is going through something hard, and I think maybe he's having a hard time asking for help or reaching out to the right people to ask for the help. And um, you know who you are if you're listening. And um, I had told him yesterday, listen, I'm willing to, if, you're, if you have something going on, then tell me you have something going on and I'll help you. As angry as I was, as hurt as I was by editing prior, things started coming, when I started getting this feeling, and I still have this feeling that something's going on with this poor person, this poor young man, that, um, that is, you know, something's going on that he's acting this way and not making this. This is what, in human services, we call this someone who's being manic or acting manic, who does things that are erratic. Um, that's a manic state, someone who does something, not a lot of thought behind it, just do a bunch of stuff. And um, that, a lot of ways, is someone coping, as a way of someone coping. And I'm just saying, it doesn't have to be me, but if you, if that person's listening or whatever, you know, find someone you do know, who you do like, you do listen to and, you know, respect 100% and ask them for help, talk to them. Don't be afraid to ask them for help. If you don't, I mean, everyone has someone they go to. Everyone needs someone to back things off of. My cousin, for example, was just on. He says he's a loner, but he also knows if he needs some help, he knows where to go to get it. He's not afraid to ask for it if he needs it. He also needs a space too. And that's important too, but it's important to know when you need help and when you're struggling. It's important to reach out to the right people and know who those people are. For myself, when I was growing up and the F4L started, I had, you know, the original F4L was five of us. And, and a lot of people, you know, think that because the, the name F4L, you know, there must have been four people who started. There was actually five originals. <clears throat> and then it grew, of course. But the five original of us who came up with all of the codes and all of the what it is to be F4L. We came up with the model with love, care, and compassion, understanding, respect for each other's differences. We came up with those together, the color codes, the hand signs, all of these things we worked on collaborated in a collaborate effort to become, to make the F4L a family that we are. Because all of these qualities were things we didn't have in our everyday family. That's why we started it. But as much as close as we were, because everyone in the F4L, our brothers and sisters, Anyone who is part of a large family, you know, there's always that one relative you go to versus someone else. And for me and for Adam, for example, me and Adam were probably the closest than anyone could be. If Adam needed something, he knew he could always rely on me and vice versa. If I ever needed something, Adam was the one to point those things out to me. But the other thing is when you are that friend, it's important when someone gives you feedback um, is to listen to them because they're not doing it to be hurtful. They're doing it to help you. Uh, I just got done. To, I just told this story to um, one of my, one of, to Jaden Brooks, actually, I told this story to. Um, he's a really smart kid, Jaden Brooks. He's, you know, trying to, you know, be healthy and trying to inspire others to be healthy like himself. And he's just, he's a great kid, great young man, really. He's not even a kid. He's got a lot of respect for him just as on a personal level because he's doing it on his own. He's, you know, he knows 
you know, what he wants in life. He knows how to get there in life. And Jaden Brooks has, you know, he's developed his own kind of regimen and it works for him. And he's not afraid to help others get there too. And that's something that we need in the world, more of those. But like when I was telling Jaden Brooks about the, uh, you know, the fact of looking in the mirror can be both a blessing and a curse. When I looked into a mirror when I was 10 years old and I said, I don't like this small, skinny, scrawny little kid anymore. I don't like being this person. I don't like how skinny and how thin I am. You can see my bones. You can see there was really no anything to me except when I was on a mat, I was probably one of the, I was probably the closest thing you'd ever see to a real life pit bull, um, which I never took any of those nicknames because back then I didn't even have a nickname. I was just me. Um, it wasn't until my middle school years I'd get the name Jazz, and it wasn't until high school where I got Vengeance, and we already went into those stories of how I got those. But when I was 10 years old, I looked into the mirror. I didn't like this, sc- this scrawny, skinny little kid. I was a picky eater, and I didn't like anything with sauce on it. I didn't like anything intricate. If it was so- If someone was making spaghetti or some type of pasta, it had to be separate from everything else. No sauce could be on it. Butter was okay, but nothing else. I didn't like food to have all kinds of spices and herbs on it. I didn't eat anything that looked like it was going to be a mess. I didn't like anything that had multiple things and components to it. I'm allergic to tuna, so anything that had to do with that, I was very much against. And because anything that looked like tuna, I was dead against because I was afraid I'd eat tuna accidentally. So chicken salad and, um, you know, all potato salad, macaroni salad. I wasn't fond of those. I didn't mind coleslaw because I've always loved fruits and vegetables. That's one thing I can say about me. But I was a very picky eater. Um, you know, burgers, cheeseburgers had to be just cheese and, you know, the bread. <laughs> I don't mind pickles. I like pickles. But, you know, outside of that, nothing. Um you know, I didn't like a lot of those things. So 10 years old, I was bony. I was thin. I was short. Um, you know, maybe that had to do with the fact that I didn't eat a lot. Maybe that has something to do with it. Um, on a mat, you wouldn't even know that because on a mat, I was probably one of the most feared people that you would stand across from in a meet or a tournament or whatever because every one of my annoyances in life got taken out on that mat, which is probably what helped me get to where I was. But also because I like the human chess factor of it, too. Even at a young age, I like to constantly think of how um, something works and asking the who's, what's, and when's and trying to figure out people. Um, That's something I've always had a gift for, something I use to this day. Um, I can watch footage. I I think I did the last show I did, I had done a deep dive and I kind of, you know, answered some questions and people had, you know, asked me how I'd beat certain fighters. And I had given the examples and how I would do those things and what my strategies would be. It all depends on who the person is because you won't fight the same person every single time the same way because, uh, you know, certain other things will come into play. I just saw recently a young man who uh, we're, we're working on trying to bring him in, uh, probably one of the best shoot fighters I've seen and in a long time, like the Minya boys are really good. The Stritzels are really good. The Stritzels haven't been on here yet. The Minya boys have. The Minya boys are, you know, breaking into boxing and they're going to, trust me, the Minya boys are going to be headlining in the UFC someday or whatever they want to do. 
because they have that drive and they're willing to learn from it and whatnot. But I saw there's someone recently, I mean, I, 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 I pay attention to everything, but there's a young man and a whole family of incredible uh, comp, like sports people. And I am, I know the real deals. I know the people you got to watch out for. And I know the ones who are going to go places. And there's a young man who we're waiting to bring on here, him and his family, who are all doing martial arts, which is awesome in general, um, that they are uh, – his name is um, – he was actually just on a, a radio show too. And I had mentioned him uh, prior last week because we are working on bringing him in and his, his family in general. His name is Grayson Russell. And his whole family, they do, you know, martial arts and stuff like that. His mother is, you know, the whole family doing fantastic in it, too. This young man, Grayson Russell, however, I saw him in a, in a thing the other day, and I said, what a shooter he is. Um, and I'm someone who came from both wrestling and martial arts, and I've seen, I know a lot of people who shoot. And let me tell you what shoot fighting is or what a shoot fighter is. A shoot fighter, which is different than someone who just goes in there and, you know, does a lot of various other things. A shoot fighter doesn't waste time and goes in with a, like a, almost blink and you miss it. They come, they explode at the person, they take them down, and then it's pretty much over after that. Uh, examples of shoot fighters, some of the best shoot fighters I've known professionally that you can relate to. Uh, for example, uh, Kurt Angle, Olympic gold medalist, also pro wrestler, Hall of Famer in both. Uh, Kurt Angle, who is known for winning a gold medal with a broken neck, which is legit. He is a workhorse. He's a powerhouse. He's stronger than people give him credit for. But he was one of the best shoot fighters you'll ever meet. Another example of a shoot fighter who's really good is Brock Lesnar out of Minneapolis, now in Canada. Uh, Brock Lesnar is another shoot fighter. He was, an, uh, he was a collegiate wrestler who broke into pro wrestling, who went into UFC. And I don't think I have to tell you anything else that Brock Lesnar has done. Um, and a lot of people call him the beast incarnate. The reason is, is because that's, how, that's what his work ethic is and because of how he explodes at the person. And what is, go back and watch. Uh, actually, that's a good thing for someone to watch. If you take certain different fighters, everything else there's different types of mma fighters right i talked about this before well briefly but if you take someone like a brock lesnar or a kane velasquez these are people who are shoot fighters these are people who are going to go take you down the mat and that's when they're going to end you brock lesnar and and, and kane velasquez for example their this strategy is going to take you to the mat as soon as possible and just pound you into oblivion that's what their goal is that's always going to be their thing and if you're not ready for it and you don't block them coming in, then you're going to be in trouble with either one of them. Then you have someone like a Conor McGregor or a, a BJ Penn or, a, you know, people like that who are more technique people. They'll finesse you. They'll do some kicks. They'll do some they, – they like to stretch things out. They like to take their time. They like to be a thinking person, and they'll take their time. And the way you can tell the difference between a shoot fighter and someone who – kind of wants to be more of a showman shit, wants to drag it out more, is a shoe fighter will go to end it really fast. It won't even, it's not about how, 
how long is this going to take? They, that's what a shoot fighter's mentality is. They want to get in and out. That's a shoot fighter. Um, versus someone who's more into the showmanship part of it, someone who wants to put on a show, someone who wants to add something, someone who wants to try some things out, someone who wants to make the thing go longer for whatever reason. That's someone like a Kane. That's someone like a um, that's someone like a Conor McGregor, like I said, or a BJ Penn. Um, I might even include Dan Pewter in that. Dan Pewter, another good friend of mine, like that. But Dan Pewter is also a shooter too. Dan Shooter will shoot. Um, Ken Shamrock, Frank Shamrock, both are great examples of a shoot fighter. Other examples of a finesse person, Anderson Silva. That's going to be that's someone who's more of a you know one. These are names that anyone who's into combat sports has heard of, and that's kind of how their fighting styles are. Um, and that's what they do. They're, they're shoot, there's a difference between the person who wants to get the points and to draw it out for whatever reason. Who It could become down to they want to wear you down psychologically versus just end the match. It could be someone who has to get the, the fight to go longer for whatever reason. Here's what I can tell you. Whenever I stepped onto a mat, I knew when I go onto a mat how long I want to go, a fight to how I want how long I want that that session to go for. Do I want to end it fast or do I want to give it some time? I can do that because I was a shoot fighter as well as I was someone who could adapt. I love uh, submissions. I love tap outs. I prefer those. And, you know, what's funny is, as I also said in the conversation I had with Jaden Brooks, hope he doesn't mind. I just <laughs> told him about these conversations, but as I was telling Jaden Brooks and some other people that, you know, we are our toughest critics when it comes to how we want to evolve in no matter what it is. Like Jaden Brooks wants to be, go into boxing. That's fine. That's, you know, whatever that is, you know, boxing or whatever he wants to do, he's going to do it that way. Me, I was into combat sports and sports in general. So I did something, you know, different elements. But the thing is, we're both, or anybody who's really passionate about doing something in life, they're going to be their toughest critics and they're going to be their hardest on them versus what anybody else can tell you. So if people out there who, um, who are saying, well, you know, that's not necessarily true and whatever else, if you think that yelling at the person who lost in a fight or if you tell someone who, if you come down hard on someone for not for coming up a little bit short versus showing them what they can do differently and you take more time to, like them for that, just know that they are already tearing themselves up, just so you know. There's no need to continue to badger them when they already know because they're already disappointed. They're already let down. Has nothing. Whatever you're going to say is just going to add fuel to the fire because not only did they let themselves down, now you're making it clear you let them down, and that makes it even worse. So my suggestion to coaches out there, if, if you have a person who – you know, comes up a little bit short in a loss, it happens, or someone gets a draw like me or whatever, then, you know, instead of, you know, making them do laps or punishing them for coming up short or whatever, instead of doing that route, go back with that student, watch the fight on tape. That's, it's modern day now. Go back and watch this, the, the competition. See what happened. See what you have to work on. And next time, do something differently. 
don't spend time griping on what the person did in the fight which caused them to lose. Go back, watch why they lost, and work on that for the next fight so it doesn't happen again. That is what a good coach is. And that is what's important, is helping them learn what they did, why they lost, and then helping them so they don't fall to that again. Because every single, because a lot of people don't understand how important losing is just as much as winning. What losing does, it, number one, it teaches you humility, but also it teaches you to be humble and also shows you and gives you tools that will help you in the, fuse, in, the, in the future. If you're someone who just goes in there and just is used to dominating everybody, you're not learning anything. You know what you're going to do. But if no one, that's because no one's challenging you or you're not fighting. That hasn't happened yet. I went till ten, uh, till I was ten years old, and oddly enough, that was around the time I looked in the mirror and I said, "I don't like the skinny kid in the mirror." So even though I waited till you know, and I talked to my doctor, he said, "You know, when you're 13 years old, you can start lifting weights." So at 13, I started lifting weights. I started hitting the gym, and boy, did I get results! <laughs> um, sports helped, and I was always active anyway. I still couldn't train. That's outside of martial arts you know, work ethic. <laughs> That's that grit factor that only people who have done these things will, can talk about. But, um, you know, it's important to realize what you're going to do in life, why you want to get there. And um, the, the shoot fighter, and I, I, I tell you, I told them, <laughs> I tell people when they do right and I tell people when they do wrong and I give little tidbits. And if someone... <laughs> If someone shoots, if you find a good shoot fighter and you can, you know, get that person where they need to be, they're going to be unstoppable. And what I saw this kid uh, shoot on this other kid, I'm like, that's a shoot fighter. That's not a, that's not like, that's something I have very rarely seen. Um, Because I think a lot of the times, a lot recently, I've seen people who take their time and, you know, finesse or whatever, not finesse. They take the time to kind of stretch the thing out for whatever reason. Um, this person has what I did. I, I went into a, a, in a match and I got to tell you, this I can tell you, despite the fact how I chose to win, how, what I was going to do the other person, before they even stepped on the mat, I already knew everything I needed to know about them. That comes to being observant and knowing what you can do, and also being observant of what they have done or what they can do. What is their confidence level? Um, how are they holding themselves? What are they here for? Are they here because they want to be here? Are they here because they want to make mom and dad happy? Are they here because they need money? Are they here to, you know, for whatever else, whatever the reasons? There's a difference, and you can tell. And depending on who they are and what they're there for, they're going to have they're the different ways to do it. And then I have to make the decision as a fighter. And this has always been how my mind worked. How am I going, to, what am I going to do to utilize whatever that flaw is? Everyone has a weakness. Even I have a weakness that no, that no one, that I think some people may or may not know, but I'm not going to tell it either because I'm going back to combat and I'm not going to give someone the easy uh, things to work on. But everyone has a weakness and everyone has um, different things. But what I can tell you is you've got to embrace 
and know everything you need to know. Nowadays, everyone knows who you're going to face. Uh, you have social media, you have YouTube, you have you know people sharing things left and right. In the 80s, when I competed, one, if you did martial arts in general, you were not looked at as being cool. You weren't looked at as being tough. You were laughed at. That's, that's the reality of it. I got to let you guys know that. It's important to know how it's evolved. It went from being something that people were ashamed of doing to being something that people are proud of, like a badge of honor. I'm happy to see it got here, but I never cared what everyone else thought of what I did. But also the other thing is the only way people knew who you were or what someone would do is the old-fashioned way, word of mouth. People knew who people were by who they talked to, and they go to all the competitions. And as I said before on the, uh, I think it was the last podcast, if you're at these meets, chances are eventually you're going to face the same people who are at these you know, events, the tournaments or whatever. Just because you have your match and win or lose or whatever, don't think that your night's over. You should be sitting there on the sideline, outside, watching every single fighter after you and before you. Why do you do that? Because the time's going to come, you're going to have to face that person. While you're sitting there, you can evaluate what are they doing, how can I manipulate, how could I, what, can I, what kind of flaw do they have, what is their game plan? Because everyone kind of has the same kind of fighting regimen. You won't know it. I do. I would know it because I, I, this is something I was passionate about. I can tell you what kind of a fighter someone is. I can tell you why the person is doing what they want to do. And I can tell you how I would beat anybody. That's just how I would do it. And I'll be honest with you, my, these days and also towards the end of my competing, my, my goal was just to end the match as quick as possible. I just want to keep it moving uh, because, you know, that's just something that, I knew I could control. If I know I can beat this person, you know, in, a, in like 20 seconds flat, why am I going to stretch that out? Just end it. Take them to the mat, lock it in, and it's over. In all honesty, that is mindset. That is my mindset, and that is what would follow. Now, a lot of you guys who are listening who are doing combat sports are like, well, this, that's easier said than done. You can't just go after someone, take them to the mat, and lock something in. And, that, and I'm going to tell you that's not true. If you have that drive and you have that quickness to you and you have that eye of the tiger kind of a feeling, and once you, when they ring that bell and they say go, if you go 100 miles per hour at that person, take them to the mat, they're not going to know what happened. It'll probably be over before they realize that they were even in it. That was always one of my go-tos, and that's something I'm going to do again. And I don't mind sharing that because despite what I say and despite – what I'm explaining, people are still going to have that way about them where they're going to try you. That's something also you have to know. When you get to be at a certain level and you get to be that person who has that respect of everyone in that gym and everyone knows who you are by word of mouth, again, no one knew me because of YouTube and, and social media in the 80s and the early 90s because there was no such thing. They knew me from these events and how I went about doing all of these events. And guess what? For the most part, if I didn't ride with my sensei, I rode with one of my other teammates to the event uh, because I didn't have anybody going with me. I went on my own. 
for the most part. My grandmother, um, you know, stopped coming with me when I was about nine. And even before that, she only came a handful of times. No one else in my family ever came to those fights or those matches. That was okay. That wasn't their thing. Because all honesty, that would probably play more mind games with me. I wouldn't want that. So I actually was relieved they weren't there because I could focus on the person across from me. Sometimes what happens is if you have all of these people who are there, right, you bring all of your relatives, your cousins, your aunts, your uncles. Well, now this is how I look at this. Someone who brings their aunts, uncles, everyone's with them to see them compete. Now that tells me that fighter is more about showing off for everybody else than winning against me. They're looking to impress their family, not to be the best they can be and not to their mind. Their first thought isn't me at all. Their first thought is making sure they're happy and making sure they're proud. Now, the reality, how am I going to compete against that? Then I'm going to do, I'm going to treat them the same way I treat everybody else. And I'm going to take them to the mat as fast as possible, make them tap out as quick as possible. That is my strategy. And the reason I do that and the reason I can plan for that is because that person who wants to put on a show and make someone and make everyone, their cousins and everyone, all their fans proud their mind's not 100% on me. They're on making them happy, making themselves look good. If anything, there's two ways you can approach that. One is to play the psychological game, which I think Conor McGregor uses a lot. Um, I've seen him use it. Brock Lesnar doesn't often, but he can. Um, or, you know, very few people can do it well, and that's goading the other person and playing with them psychologically. Conor McGregor is really good at it. Uh, the mental game of chess, where he'll get in the person's head, he'll and he'll own that rent space in their head, and that is a different level. I don't like doing that often because I I believe that you should still treat people with respect. But in the same sense, on that mat, my goal is to win as fast as possible, not to impress, not so you can impress whoever you brought. I see your cheering section as a green light to me to make you tap out as fast as I can, because I know that your mind isn't on beating me. Your mind is making them look good, making yourself look good for them. But in the same sense, you then you have the person who walks on to into the area and he thinks he's the alpha dog. Everybody has the, one of these people, the people who think they're untouchable. The guy who, you know, has won six other regionals and, you know, he's the one they all talk about. Well, those are the people who I'm going to go for. I'm not going to hide from that person. That's the person I want to fight next. I think what happens is people get comfortable fighting the same people over and over again, especially when they're people they know they can win and defeat. If you want to get better as a fighter and you want to get better as someone who's going to compete, then you need to be challenging the best of the best, not the same over and over again. You can fight, you can definitely have someone who you have a, have a chemistry with that you have that professional rivalry with. That definitely happens in sports like this. But all honesty, I'm going to tell you right now that, um, you know, when you come in, when I have to face someone, when I know they're, they think that they're the most unstoppable monster ever to exist and they come in a way about them like there's no one here going to be able to do anything. Those are the kind of people I absolutely love to make submit 
and even faster than the person who wants to. And all honesty, the person who's putting on it for a family, I probably let that last a little longer than the person who wants to go in there to, you know, make himself look good, who thinks he's unstoppable, because that is the humble person. And that's my job now to make him learn that lesson of humility. You want to know who taught me that? My sensei. My sensei told me one time, if someone wants to, um, if someone you're facing wants to mock you and wants to think that they are better than you in every way, shape, or form, it's going to be your job as a fighter to make them know who you are, make them instantly regret it, and make them remember your name well afterwards. So I did. And ultimately, that is why, and that's how people found out who I was and what I was about. That's how everyone, you know, kind of had that. Now, back to the original thing, how I got here. When you get to be that level as the person who can face anyone and knows how to defeat everyone, you are now the shark. And now you have to be the, you know, the fish that goes after that shark, right? And what that means for those people who aren't good in metaphors, if you want to become the alpha, then you need to face the alpha. Um, you can face the same people over and over again, people your age, people your size, whatever. But the only way you're going to get better is by challenging yourself to face someone who is the toughest. It kind of goes to the old mentality that people used to have when they go to a new school where they get bullied a lot. You would, the old you know, the way to, the old way of doing it was you pick the biggest kid there who gives you the hard time. Pick the, if you have a situation where you have three bullies, you pick the biggest one of those bullies and you lay them out flat on their back. The other two will, will quickly run and hide or whatever the case may be. They'll forget all about it. But because you drop the biggest one of that group, the rest of them know that you're no one to mess with. And that is kind of the same thing when you go into these events. You want to find the person who's the toughest of the tough, not the guy who is just in front of you because they're in your age range or whatever else. You want, if you're not fighting the best of the best, then you're just settling and you're not going to progress. If you're just learning and you're just getting into these events, I can see that. But remember, your ultimate goal is to be the best you can be. And the only way you can become better at what you're doing is by taking on and challenging the best. You're not going to get to be where you want to be by taking on the people who aren't as quick, as tough, or won't give you a challenge. That's basically the easiest way I can say it. Those are genuinely the kinds of people you'll see at these events. The people who want to make mom and dad proud, the person who wants to, you know, show that he's the king of kings and no one can be as tough as he is. Then there's the person who, um, for lack of a better term, just uh, goes there just to go there, I guess. But those are kind of the people who just, eh, something to do, something to do, something to kill time with. Or you have the person who wants to do it for a good job or uh, to get into a good school or whatever. Well, then that if someone is going to Mars to, you know, get a good grade or get a scholarship somewhere, then that tells me that I already have that match won because now I know that they're probably hiding an injury and that they're prone for injuries. 
And all I have to do as a fighter is to figure out what that injury is and just exploit that injury um, legally and, and by the rule book, of course. I'm not saying shortcuts. I'm just telling you everyone ha- know, should know who they're facing and how to beat them. And that's the psychology of combat and MMA. Figure out how, who, first figure out who, then how and why. Um, and that's all you have to go from there. But yeah, we're going to, I can't wait. Hopefully this uh, person comes on because that would be great to hear, um, you know, this young man and his family because uh, probably easily one of the best shoot fighters I've seen. The men boys are awesome too. They've been boxing people left and right and putting all the work in. That's what's going to take you far in life by keeping at it. People like Jim Brooks continuously working at it. Uh, Jojo, the bodybuilder, um, poor kid did a Q&A yesterday. And, you know, I asked him, I said, do you ever get tired of answering the same six questions over and over again? Because I know as a wrestler, as myself, yeah, I have, I feel like I need to answer the same questions over and over again because, Many people don't understand it, and I get that, but it gets repetitive. So I asked him that, and he even knows that. To get where you want to be in life, you have to have a work ethic, and you have to have a heart for it. And it doesn't matter what it is you want to get into. It could be film, dance, acting, filmmaking, fighting, sports in general, whatever it is. If you're not going to put your work into it or your heart into it, take it seriously then you need to look at what your goals are and then see if there's something else you want to do. Um, I say always, whatever your first goal is, have the backup. Me, I was fortunate. I wanted to go into pro wrestling, but I also knew I also wanted to help people. And I want to make films. When I got injured from pro wrestling, which was my first choice, I went to school to learn how to do the other things. And I did those things. I had a backup. A lot of people have these high hopes of one mindset. This is what I'm going to do no matter what. Then what are you going to do when that doesn't work out? For example, I, you know, I keep having to go back to the combat world because this is the easiest one to, or sports in general. Being someone who wants to succeed in sports, let's say you want to you know, become the new, you know, the new Pele, you want to go into football or baseball or UFC or whatever. If you think that realistically you're not going to get injured and that you think that there's a lot of money that you're going to be making there, you'd be very surprised to find out how wrong you will you you are. Um, yeah, you might get endorsement deals. If you're doing sports, depending on what it is, you might get endorsement deals and make all kinds of money. But guess what? If you get injured and you don't play, you don't get paid. Think about that one. So you can put all this work into becoming the new UFC champion. But what happens when, you know, you're facing someone and you get injured? It happens. It's sports. It doesn't mean someone it's going to. It's, it's, it never, actually, I'm going to tell you 100%. If you're into MMA and you're into combat sports, you will at some point suffer an injury at some point. Some days early in life, sometimes later in life, but you will get injured. It's inevitable. But what you want to do is find out what is your backup plan when, if that happens. Because what happens is, even if it's to continue to get back into the ring, still have a backup plan. Because while you're sitting at home injured, no money's coming in. 
What happens if your money come, doesn't come in? No bills are getting paid. What happens if your pills aren't getting paid? You can't provide food for yourself, training for yourself, your gym fees, your endorsement fees, your contract fees, your lawyer fees, your rent, right? Your car insurance or your travel money. If no money comes in, you don't get paid. You're not getting anywhere. That is the stuff that you have to prepare for if that's your goal. People are very good at it when they are, and they do very well. But anyone who I – the ones I just mentioned, Conor McGregor, uh, Floyd Mayweather, even, the boxer, right? All of these people I just mentioned, Dan Pewter, my good friend Dan Pewter, Ken Shamrock, French Shamrock, um, Anderson Silva, uh, Conor McGregor, probably easily all of these names are probably the best of the UFC in combat sports, right? Or f- fighting in general. Every single one of them has had an injury of some kind in different levels. Um, and they can tell you it's not good and it takes you time. Brock Lesnar, the beast incarnate, has been injured. In fact, Brock Lesnar has been almost dead because of another illness. <laughs> but, you know, people will not know a lot about that because he doesn't make excuses. He just keeps going, which is why he's a beast incarnate. Um, so this is just kind of what I'm trying to point out to people. Just always have the backup to your backup to your backup. Because what we want here might not be what you want over there. And what you're doing now might not be what you want, what will come to be. Always have a backup to your, whatever your first goal is, and then have a backup for that one. And don't make long-term goals. You can have a long-term goal, but make short ones to get there because people will make these long-term goals. I use the old, um, you know, New Year's resolution analogy, right? Everyone has a New Year's resolution, and everyone makes these various things. I want to lose weight. I want to find someone I love. I want to do this. I want to do that. And then what happens is, you know, they have these intentions. Let's say they always want one of the go-tos is they want to lose weight or they want to quit smoking or whatever. Well, here's what I'm going to tell you. And anyone who has ever been in this scenario can probably tell you this too. You, you want to lose weight by the end of the year and you join a gym first because that's how you're going to lose weight, right? So you pay the gym fee, you start going to the gym. And what happens is after a little while, uh, after going to the gym three or four days a week, five days a week, you start cutting down the, the time you go to the gym. Well, this came up that, you know, your original plan is I'm going to work out in the gym, uh, various parts of you know, my body. I'm going to go five days a week, right? That's the first one. You do that for maybe about a week, two weeks, three weeks maybe. I'm going to give you usually about a month or two. Uh, until then, what will happen is you're – on the day that you're supposed to go to the gym, well, I'm sore from yesterday, it's raining out, um, something else came up, and I'm going to skip today. And I'll go tomorrow, I'll go even longer tomorrow. Well, okay, fine. And then what happens is another time during the week, again, another day will drop. And before you know it, within six months of making that original goal of five days a week for the whole year to lose weight, now – you are going maybe three week, three days a week to the gym six months later, and then two days, and then a day and a half, and then, well, I'll get there when I get there. I'll go every other month, which 
You know, this is what I'm saying. Make small goals to big goals. If your goal is to quit smoking, I'm going to tell you this right now. If your goal is to quit smoking or drugging or whatever the case may be, this is going to be the worst thing. This is going to be the hardest thing ever, but this is honestly the only way I know proven. Just throw the stuff away and don't touch it. If you're around people who use this stuff, stay away from them for a while. If you know there's a place that has these things, whether you're trying to, whatever it is, just avoid those places. If there's people you know you get along with who do those things, stay away from them while you're, until you get yourself where you need to be because that's something you can do in the, in the small term, right? Because it only takes that one slip and then you're right back into it again. I have never done a drugs. I don't smoke. I, I don't drink and I don't drug. I got the 90 second rule. I got the 90 second uh, warning, however. And I do acknowledge that these things I say are hard for people to do, but there's always rules and tools to get you there. Everyone, I am the icon, Sean Jazz Stevens. Thank you very much for joining. I want to thank my cousin again, Shaheen Blue, for coming on the show. And again, I wish him and his mother a safe travel. May all your dreams come true. Everyone else, you guys know how to get to hold of me, Matches, D-R-E-A-M-M-A-T-C-H-E-S at gmail.com. You guys know how to find me, F4L, Icon, S-E-A-N-J-A-Z-Z-S-T-E-V-E-N-S on Instagram. And everyone, may all your dreams come true. Enjoy your week. Peace.